Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody. It's Frank Gruber, and welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast. On this special episode, we're going to be highlighting something we hosted previously as a virtual event where we showcased five startups that are all within our community that are doing great work to help during the COVID-19 pandemic. The format was pretty simple. We had each company give three minutes of, on what they're up to and then five minutes to get some feedback and, and do a little bit of a Q&A session with a great group of judges. So before we get started, though, I wanted to share some of the folks that helped contribute to the event and make it possible. Uh, first, I want to thank Brex, a corporate credit card uh, built for startups, Carta, a leading platform for company valuation and cap tables, uh, management services, Stripe, payment platform, which we've probably all, all used at some point. And then obviously, we want to extend um, really a, a lot of, of gratitude to the companies that are joining the fight, really thank them from the bottom of our hearts as this is a really tough time for a lot of people. And, you know, we just want to thank and, and, and give us a chance to, to um, commemorate the companies that are out there doing great work. So the startups that were involved were some great companies we've had come through our program. We had Aperiomics, which was a 2018 Startup of the Year winner. Uh, we had Fiveable, 2019 Top 100 company. Kamana, a 2019 Top 100 company. Lazarus 3D, a 2018 Top 15 honorable mention. And One Milo, a 2018 Top 100 company. And they got a chance to share their story with our online audience at the virtual event, but also with a, a great panel of experts, which included Susan McPherson, who's the CEO of McPherson Strategies. Uh, we had Zachary Pohl, who's the head of uh, U.S. Health Healthcare Partnerships at Plug and Play. We had David Hall, who's with Res- Revolution and Rise of the Rest Fund. He's a managing partner of, of the fund and has seen a lot of companies and pitch along the way and manages uh, the fund's portfolio companies. Um, as well as Jared Evans, who's a captain actually in the U.S. Air Force, but also a partner at AF Ventures and Afworks, which is also doing a lot to uh, join and combat, you know, basically join the fight against COVID-19 right now. So let's jump into the event. Our first startup today is Aperiomics from Ashburn, Virginia. They were our 2018 Startup of the Year winner. They're a member of the Established Ventures Portfolio, and I'd like to introduce the CEO, Dr. Crystal Eisenhower. So hi, I'm, I'm Dr. Crystal Eisenhower. I'm the CEO for Periomics, and our mission is to advance healthcare by revolutionizing the way infections are identified. And our core technology um, allows us to do this by screening um, of nearly 40, for nearly 40,000 microorganisms in whatever sample we're working with. And I think that there's been no other time in human history where it couldn't be more clear why we need to do infection testing. Um, had our technology, our core technology been in use when this whole situation began, we could have prevented a pandemic from occurring. We would have identified those initial um, respiratory viral um, infections as a SARS-like virus. So with that, um, we've made a temporary pivot to offer COVID testing. So for the last several weeks, we've been doing um, the CDC protocol for COVID viral testing. Um, and we've, we've been working really hard to, to get as many people tested as we can. Um, we're also working really hard to get an antibody test available. I know a lot of people have probably been hearing about some of these rapid tests that are coming. The challenge has been, um, we're talking about them coming, but they haven't actually arrived. So, um, so we're, we're getting ready to, to add that as an addition to our COVID response. Um, at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to be part of the solution and, and being able to provide testing for as many people and to get as much information as we can so that normal society can, can resume. Um, and I think the, the third piece was talking about the, the challenges um, that um, I wanted to, to talk about. Um, I think there's really two big challenges we've we've hit up against. One is regulatory, um, the FDA putting these emergency use authorizations in place is a great way to make sure we're, we're we have quality control and people are being tested appropriately and and all of that. Um, but there's there's been some hiccups in that process um, that we've experienced. 
Um, but there's also a challenge that we're seeing. Um, CDC issued very strict guidelines on who should be tested. Um, we're sitting here with tons of bandwidth to test many, many, many more people than we're actually testing. Um, and I think a lot of that's partly, I think, overall, people aren't getting tested by and large. And so those are some of the, the things we're really rubbing up against. And then obviously there's been, um, you know, an economic hit to us. Our, tr our core technology testing has dropped off dramatically because everyone's in crisis mode. And so, um, you know, we're, we're taking a hit on that financially, you know, doing the COVID testing helps you know, soften that blow significantly. Um, but, you know, the economic hit has been traumatic. Um, and actually, just right before I, I logged in, um, I got notice from our bank that all of the, the payroll protection funds have been exhausted. And we were not one of those who got any, even though I applied within two hours of the application wow. process opening. Same so. here. <laughs> yeah. Within an hour. Yeah. So um, I think those are the, the three points that I was asked to speak on. Um, did I miss anything, Frank or Jen? I don't think so. That was great. Great. Thank you. All right. So experts, is there anything you, you can, any insight you can provide or, or any questions? questions, thoughts? Yeah. So I'll ask a first question. Um, first, um, you're doing the Lord's work, so we really appreciate sort of everything that you guys are doing to, to help expedite the testing. But I guess, my, so, so were you able to apply for one of the emergency FDA waivers? Are you, is, yes. is Periomics fully FDA enabled and you can, you guys can deliver the testing protocol for for the core periomics test or specifically for COVID? So we're not doing anything for COVID with our core technology right now. Um, that's uh, an aside. Um, with regard to the COVID testing, we have applied for emergency use authorization, but we haven't been given, you know, we haven't gotten a response from FDA yet. Um, we're clear to do testing. Um, you know, as soon as we, we submitted that application, we were, we were clear to, to do testing. Um, but, you know, FDA could come back and look at what we're doing and say, no, you can't do that and, and, and ask us to stop. Um, we don't believe that's likely to happen because we're following CDC's protocols. We just made some modifications to account for supply chain issues. Um, so, so we don't expect there to be any issues with that, but just the process of going through that, you know, normally a CLIA lab, like what we, what we're doing, normally a laboratory developed test does not require anything from FDA. So adding this additional layer on top of a clinical laboratory to have to now comply with this extra regulation above and beyond what they would normally be required to do um, is, you know, it, it, it's created an additional layer of work for all, not just us, but for every clinical lab. Yeah. So re really quick follow up. Is not the ability, like given the volume of tests that you guys can perform or the volume of symptoms that you guys can identify, sometimes I wonder if this is another opportunity for you to be the, the test for everything else, right? There's a lot of people that are lined up to test specifically for COVID. And part of the challenges of emergency departments is, is properly routing. Could not mm -hmm. this be a, one, a window for a periomics to say in one shot you can test for, you know, effectively everything else? Oh, absolutely. And we're certainly, you know, educating people on, on that. And, and we are happy to do reflex testing. The biggest roadblock we're running into is um, our core technology is not yet covered by insurance. And so it's a significant out-of-pocket expense for a patient. And, you know, it's just a complicated thing to navigate through. Um, now, the COVID thing has opened a lot of doors for us. So we fast-tracked into CLIA. We are fast-tracking into Medicare billing. Um, that's opening doors that will do nothing but benefit our core technology greatly um, because we're building all these relationships. We're getting lots of visibility and coverage. So there's lots of silver linings to the situation for us. Thank you. What about in, you're in Virginia, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, in terms of your, your state, uh, you know, you, your representation in Washington, um, you know, you're, you have two very powerful senators. 
um, as well as members of the House. Is, is there, have you reached out in any kind of means to get their support to see if it can be fast-tracked? So it's to see if, if what can be fast-tracked specifically. Getting, through, getting approvals and, you know, because it sounds to me like that's part of the holdup. Uh, well, with our core technology, we're not, we can't yeah. go there right now. No right. one can, no one can do that. With regard to COVID, we're testing. Nobody's okay. stopping us from testing. We're testing. It's just, there was this additional burdensome layer that we had to go through in order to get, you know, in order to begin offering the testing. The biggest challenge we're seeing right now is people are just not being tested. In the state right. of Virginia, the current number is about 50,000 people in the state of Virginia have been tested. Total. For the entire state, 50,000 people have been tested. That's not enough that you, you have to test a large portion of the population. So we're working to educate our legislators and we're working to educate, you know, we've been in touch with the governor's office, our county office, our regional county offices to educate them on the fact that, and, and even, you know, the president said testing is how we get through this, but nobody's actually getting tested. So there's this disconnect between what CDC is saying, don't test unless you, unless, you know, you're symptomatic and you're at risk. And then, you know, the, the president saying everybody needs, states need to do testing so we can get past this crisis. So there's still this disconnect in between where, you know, we're sitting here with all of this bandwidth not being used. So our, our COVID testing is the same technology CDC published. So it's a PCR test for viral RNA. It's not, it's very simple, very straightforward. It's not our core technology. Um, our core technology is far too expensive and it takes five days to get an answer. Um, that's, that's not suitable for, for COVID testing. So I work directly with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and specifically their division, BARDA. And their job is to give non-dilutive grant money out to companies doing exactly what you're doing. They're giving up a, up to $749,000 non-dilutive. Um, they're doing it incredibly quickly. They got $3.5 billion out of the $2 trillion stimulus package. So I would look to there. Um, you might be able to get quick money um, to be able to do exactly what you're doing for the testing. You can go to either beta.sam.gov or medicalcountermeasures.gov. Thank you, Zachary. Um, sounds like that's a... Uh a great connection as well. So it sounds like there's a couple different connections we can make there. I think to, to round it out, I mean, that is her, one of her biggest um, hurdles right now for periomics. It sounds like they're raising around. They are, it's a series A uh, and they are about 60% funded to date. So they want to continue to close that out. Um, so if anyone you know, knows anyone interested in this kind of technology as well, I think they're, they're interested in connections and can partner with more people. So non is good as well. And I know AF, yeah. AF Ventures has some opportunities as well. So I think to me some good stuff coming out of this. So we're off to a good start. Yes, <laughs> all right. thank you all. Yes, all right, so next up, our second startup is Fiveable. Um, they are out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they were a 2019 top 100 company from our start of the year program. Uh, we've got Amanda Doamerol. You got yeah. it. All right. <laughs> How's good. it going? Good, how are you doing? Pretty good. Um, it's just been a really crazy time. Obviously, uh, we're on a different front line than Periomics is. Uh, we're supporting students in education and so we fiveable used to be an after school platform and now it's there is no after school it's just learning all the time from home so that's kind of what we've been focused on so just to kind of give you the full backdrop um i don't know if you wanted to like ask any questions first or just jump in no, just jump on in cool um so yeah so basically fiveable is a social learning platform so we've really focused on how we can get students connecting with other students, how we can get teachers connecting with students um, to make learning fun and accessible. Um, in the past, that's looked like, you know, live stream support, um, practice prompts, answering questions on community threads, live trivia games, just really like thinking about how do I get a kid to want to study on a Friday night? That's kind of what we've always asked ourselves. Yeah. Um, and now that there's no school all schools are, are closed uh, we, we focus on supporting ap students right now uh, that's always been our main kind of beachhead market and ap exams are still happening which is, was kind of a shock for everybody but the exams have been moved online and so a lot of what we've done in the last few weeks last month is is really 
increasing a lot of our supports to, to really align with this new exam um, because students are gonna have to answer one essay prompt in 45 minutes using technology. So uh, we're gonna be helping kids out with even like typing practice. Like a lot of kids don't have a lot of skills in order to actually type out a full essay in 45 minutes, that's gonna be a challenge. Um, and then we're gonna be playing a really big game of we're calling it AP Olympics. And so getting kids to like create teams, jump in, have some fun. We, we've heard from a lot of kids and teachers that one of the main um, challenges around remote learning is is motivation and accountability and just, they, they really miss their friends. They miss their teachers. They miss, they miss school. Uh, and, you know, we've been just thinking about like, how can we recreate some of those systems, some of them, you know, the lightning that happens in classrooms uh, to get kids, you know, into it, get, making sure they have access to it. We wish you also helped with uh, preschoolers. <laughs> can you come to my home? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, it's like we've always focused on AP first and we yeah. always plan to move beyond AP. And now we're we're really thinking about now, like if school is disrupted next year, how can we actually support students in more grade levels, more subjects, just really being on the front lines of this is kind of like a lightning strike in education. And, you know, right. everybody knows that school has, is not the perfect environment right. in, in general for most students. And so what does this moment mean for the future? And like the next five years, 10 years, what will things look right. like? Are we all going to be homeschooling? I mean, is that, is that what's going to happen? I hope not. I mean, I hope there's still school. I think school as a provides a lot of supports for students that it's hard to replicate at home. But I do think that moving schools into the 21st century is what we're going to see where teachers who, you know, may may not have adopted different technologies are now doing it. You know, they they're learning Zoom, they're learning Google Classroom, they're learning different platforms and right. um, students are really stepping up too to help them out. Okay. That's great. Let's go to our panel. Who wants to jump in? Or did you have any specific needs or questions? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, I think that for us, the main the main issue is just like, how do we, it's just trying to reach more students. I think that that's been difficult. I think there's a lot of um, pressure on students and uh, on teachers and schools to sort of figure this out quickly. And so um, we're really trying to lean in to figure out how can we talk to different experts in education to really think about what a new remote learning framework might look like. Um, and so I think the ask for us is, is really around like how, how can we better amplify what we're doing, better reach more, more students. We know that this is just like, this is people need what we're doing. And so that's, that's what we're kind of focused on right now. Awareness, connectivity to other school districts, like any way to kind of continue to build this out and, and yeah. grow. Okay, great. I, I would think almost it would be important to reach the parents of the students almost more than the students. I mean, because in most cases, you know, depending on the age of the student, obviously, um, right. you know, the parents are paying for it. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, in terms of targeting, you know, where do parents gather? Where do parents, where are parents communicating right now? Where are they spending their time? Um, you know, what you know, what, what, where can you get some, you know, some press that parents are going to read about it? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what about alliance, you know, have you reached out to like the national and state PTAs, you know, parent teachers associations? Because mm. um, I, I think you want to get into that household. Um, and to me, like, that seems like a very direct route to reach parents. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think two things. In, in addition to everything that Susan said, because I totally agree, you know, historically with education technology, going direct to consumer was always sort of frowned upon. Now every parent is now a consumer directly and, and have, have dipped their credit cards. So I think going there is, is perfect. I think what you need to do, I, in my opinion, is break up some of the, the big sort of education by going to like the American Association of Independent Schools or going to some of these smaller groups where you can kind of perhaps cut through the chatter. And, and not try to knock on the Department of Education's door or even, you know, the the District of Columbia's school, you know, school district. Like, they're so, 
they're they're triaging a lot of things and and sort of solving your problem probably isn't the top of their list today. And so I would find those organizations that might have a little bit more incentive to, to jump in and help you. The second thing that I'd also start thinking about, especially as you're sort of making inroads to some of these parent organizations and, and looking at the, the parent blogs and things like that to sort of tell your story, is to think about summer enrichment, right? Most schools are now starting to cancel for the school year. And yep. the way with education technology, you've kind of got to be ahead of the curve. And so being that enrichment source for people who are planning on taking, you know, the sophomores who are planning on taking AP English next year, being the, the onboard for them, independent of whether or not we're going to be in school or online next year, just getting the awareness out for the summertime so that those, you know, early adopters can really start and create that virality and bring their friends into the group by the time school starts up again, either in person or virtually in, in the fall. Great advice. Yeah, the, the summer is a, is a really important time. We're concerned about just how much schools that kids are missing and what kind of impact that will have on their future. So that's, that's exactly where we're hey. And nobody's more concerned about that than parents, right? So I think that <laughs> yeah. this is going to be this is going to be a summer full of like balanced work and not all you know Netflix. Right. <laughs> well, I bet kids can't wait to do homework all summer. Great <laughs> <laughs> point. I, I have very similar sentiments. Uh, you know, we have thousands of companies that we have on contract, uh, non-traditional contractors for a variety of things, and our advice to them is is very much the same, right? Um, Amazon or Google or any of those guys, no, no one is going to go directly to the entire Air Force or DOD, right? To, to the entirety of all these these large organizations. Um, to David's David's point, you're going to have to have early adopters. You're going to have stepping stones that get you to where you want to go over time. And um, you know, you really have to map out who you know who matches your value statement most directly. And how you can how you can really grow those early adopters into a broader, more diversified set of customer base over time. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I love this. I think this is really helpful. Just to think about like it's like our roadmap before was one way, and now it's a different way, and just trying to re replan like how that stepping stones will will work in this well, new climate. It, think of it almost as a sandbox now because there's no nobody's done this before, right? Mm -hmm. So we're all just kind of like, you know, fumbling along and, you know, somebody's going to hit, you know, the right approach. But, um, you know, definitely a few case studies would be helpful, um, both from the parent and the kid's perspective, um, because that, you know, when people will see that, then they'll feel more comfortable, just like with mm -hmm. anything new. Yeah, for sure. Um, we had... Last year, it was like 92% of our students passed the AP exams. And so we're hoping to see those same numbers this year, even though we have far more students. We've had like 200,000 kids studying with wow. us in the last month, which is, it's insane. It's like doubled from the month before. And so we're just, just trying to up our supports and just help kids out. Have you gone directly to the AP? Like, have you gone to the organization and gone to the publishers that service this, this, this world? Um. We have we I have connected with College Board. They they know who we are, but they I don't think they're like building too many partnerships right now. Um, it doesn't seem like with for profit folks. Um, instead, we've gone to some of the organizations that have been supporting students, like the National Math and Science Initiative or other folks like that, um, and been trying to plug in through them. All right, great. Anybody in the chat is watching and has connections, drop us a line and we got est.us forward slash get connected and you can also make those connections too. So does Zachary want to add Zachary, anything? did you have anything you want to add? Uh, nothing that I want to add here. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. We appreciate the work you're doing. All right. Uh, going back to the front lines, we're going to Kamana from Richmond, Virginia. Kamana was a 2019 top 100 company um, they're part of our established ventures portfolio, and I'd like to introduce Dave Dvorak. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave. Can you hear me okay? Yes, right great. Go right ahead. Yeah, so I'm Dave Dvorak, co-founder and CEO of Kamana. Uh, we're a software company in the healthcare staffing space, really working to solve the inefficiencies and financial waste around credential management and healthcare staffing for nurses and allied health professionals. Um, in short, we were founded uh, through the um, through personal frustrations of my co-founder, who is a career traveling nurse. 
Um, he spent about 10 years total working in the ER with five of those working as a traveler where every few months uh, traveling nurses like John are moving around to different hospitals that have shortages around the country and are um, with, with that essentially comes the process of having to manage and share and maintain all of your credentials and professional certifications and share that with really dozens, if not, you know, more companies throughout the year. And the process of just doing all of that very manually, very inefficiently um, is frustrating for him as a healthcare professional when he's just trying to get into the doors of a hospital as quickly as he can. Uh, and then on the other side for the, the hospitals and the staffing agencies that are working with John to, to hire these traveling nurses and temporary healthcare workers, um, their processes are just wildly inefficient. So uh, we, we started the company really as a tool for uh, traveling nurses, allied health professionals, and uh, other healthcare workers to use as sort of like a, think of it as like a universal college application, but in the world of healthcare. So they have one profile where they're managing and tracking and securely sharing all of their credentialing information. And then on the other side of things, uh, built the product around the staffing and compliance management for the healthcare employer themselves. So our target market today is, is you know, predominantly focused on the travel nursing and temporary healthcare staffing world, um, where staffing agencies who are the actual W-2 employers of the nurses that are working on behalf of these hospital systems, um, we're providing them uh, candidate management, compliance management software that interacts seamlessly with the credential management sharing tool uh, and platform that we have for healthcare professionals. Um, so from a COVID impact perspective, we have done a couple of things a little bit differently where, you know, A, when everything really started um, kind of becoming critical in the U.S. where these places like New York or California or Washington are just getting hit so hard uh, and need just a massive influx of healthcare workers, uh, we tapped into our community of nurses and allied healthcare professionals and started providing some matching services. Um, and that goes uh, with our staffing agency customers, uh, as well as with uh, staffing firms and um, hopefully some, some other hospital systems as we're working to expand that reach. And it also involves, uh, we've made some partnerships with a few industry leading uh, job boards, such as Nomadicare, where now the Kamana profile can be used as a uh, sort of like apply with LinkedIn type workflow um, on these job boards, but it's apply with Kamana. And what that does for the healthcare professional is it stops the repetitive paperwork. And for the, the staffing firm in the hospital, it, it gets the information uh, into their hands faster and helps with the screening process. So then the, the second piece would be uh, working directly with healthcare employers um, to provide them software to more efficiently screen and place uh, and credential candidates, uh, get people into the doors of hospitals faster. And then thirdly, for like healthcare professionals where you've got places like New York that are being so critically hit and need just a massive number of nurses and respiratory therapists to come into the hospital. You also have hospital units all over the country that are laying off staff because they've shut down their surgical units. Uh, the patient census is down in cities that aren't being hit quite as, quite as badly. Um, so providing a tool for those healthcare professionals to get organized professionally and go out and find work. Um, so all of that from, from an ASK perspective, uh, we are, Predominantly focused now, just because it's been our target market since launch on the staffing agency space and the travel nursing space, but our technology, you know, it's equally applicable for, you know, hospital systems, long-term care facilities, government organizations that are organizing COVID response teams. So, you know, working to get in touch with folks uh, that are struggling to organize their like screening and credentialing processes. Uh, we have a, a platform we'd love to get in their hands and, and see how we can help out and then just for any you know, nurse or allied professional out there that is you know, looking for work, struggling to find work, or looking to go to these hotspots to help, um, you know, getting them onto the platform so that we can you know, A, give them a tool to make that next step and B, help efficiently get them there. All right, thanks, Dave. Great work. Which hospitals are you currently working with? Yeah, so right right now it's like all of our all of our focus is on the actual staffing firms themselves. So we don't have any direct hospital systems that we're pushing staff into, but we would love inter introductions on on that side. What's the data behind how many people you have on the platform? Um, things like how much you're able to reduce the amount of time that they need to be screening people. Like what are those main KPIs that you're really selling? 
Yeah, for sure. So on the the part of the staffing firms or hospital systems that are typically used to manually collecting all this credentialing data from a nurse via text, via email, via phone call, the process typically takes anywhere between, let's call it three and seven days. And that's if you have a really motivated healthcare professional. Um, we've seen, you know, with the matching that we've been doing, when nurses come in and they're motivated to get their profile completed, get all their credentials uploaded, we've seen submission times go from days to literally like 10 or 15 minutes. Nice, oh, great. Uh, when it comes to the, the demand signal in terms of who needs what kind of talent, um, is that uh, kind of user input like the hospital or the staffing agency gives you, um, you know, things that they need or is there some kind of predictive aspect to your service as well? Yeah, for sure. So the hospitals are basically funneling all of their needs out to staffing firms. Um, and that's just traditionally how it's worked. You know, now in the, the COVID crisis going on, you've got hospital systems that are working with government organizations. They're trying to go directly to talent. But because these temporary workers are traditionally not hired by the hospital, um, they're actually employed by a staffing agency uh, for a number of reasons. Um, the the needs are basically pushed out to these staffing firms and then the staffing firms are pushing the needs out to job boards such as Nomadicare or to companies like us. Um, and then, you know, we're helping get people in, into those places, but it's, it's honestly uh, a mess of a process of getting the information from point A to point B to point C. Um, and from a, from a needs perspective, I think that most hospitals, you know, have, they need a lot of staff, but they have predominant needs. So like getting the one or two or three predominant needs are really what most of the staffing companies are focused on. I might be wrong on this, but uh, if I were you, cause I don't know how much you know about plug and play, but we have like 28 different just healthcare partners, a lot of health insurers, but then also hospitals. We're finding people are a lot more receptive right now on the health insurance side, as opposed to the hospital side. Um, we work with like universal hospitals and atrium, but on the health insurance side, it's like Cigna. And then I work with like Humana, Anthem, United Healthcare and, and some others. But like, I think they would be a lot more receptive to this. Um, and then like one, like I, if I were you, I'd be reaching out to health insurers right now. I'd be reaching out to Cigna, Humana, Anthem, um, United Healthcare. Um, I didn't tell you this, but if I were you, I would send a personal message to Fawad Butt. He's the chief data officer at United Healthcare because he told me the last time we talked that he would personally invest in something just like this. Wow. Uh, like I didn't tell you that, but like like he would be very interested in this. And uh, this I think is a live stream. I just want to want to make sure you know this is a live stream. <laughs> Nobody knows this. <laughs> um, yeah, but like but like that, I think that would be good because um, right now credentialing, especially for health insurers, is a huge issue. And yeah. right now, yes, they're very busy, but they're not as busy as hospitals, and they're going to be more receptive. Yeah, that, that's, great that's advice. great advice. I appreciate that. We'll, we'll definitely do that. Uh, the, the only thing I'd add, I mean, I, this is a little bit outside of my, my zone, but as I think about marketplaces, I, I think the thing that really drives them is making sure that this, the quality of the supply is is the high. Like, like, and I think one of the things that you said that I, I noted earlier was that there, there have been a lot of turnover in some of the best hospitals, because if you're, you know, an orthopedic nurse right now and all of the elective surgeries, uh, you know, for hip replacements are going away, you, you don't have... You, you might be laid off. And I think being able to lock up a lot of the best supply enables you to then take your supply places that it might not necessarily go into new channels so that you can sort of break some of that existing supply chain. So as you think about sort of more longer term outreach, really locking in and being the place where, you know, the, the, the top either nurses or, or, or allied health professionals or doctors want to be on I think that there's, there creates a lot of marketplace value there because you're the you're the one stop shop where the top talent who you know for whatever reason has been you know who 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 isn't on the front lines but who's very valid and will become you know all of those surgeries those elective surgeries are coming back. I would think about really recruiting those folks into the into the to, into your marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. And I think from a, you know, from a marketplace perspective, it's really interesting because, you know, the, the matching component is is in the roadmap. But right now, it's just our company has been so focused around uh, providing efficiency gains through technology on the actual credentialing and screening and onboarding and really using that as a crux to build up our, our talent base to eventually start making connections. And the whole crisis has thrown us into, you know, 
we've got people that want to work and we've got companies that need to hire them. So just kind of figuring out the balance of like how big of a pivot do we make and, and you know, how much attention do, do we give to the matching side? But I think absolutely. I mean, there are tons of healthcare professionals that are qualified to be repurposed and they're just right now being, you know, shifts are being cut, contracts are being canceled and, and, you know, there are people that have the ability to help and, and want to help. And it's just the, the coordination effort to make it all happen is, is just a complete nightmare. The other thing I'd also think about is sort of regional and international credentialing mapping, because I know because of supply and demand and sort of uh, localized supply and demand flows of, of both the, the coronavirus and other, you know, other health challenges around the world, as doctors and health professionals sort of are a little bit more mobile and go to the places where there's the greatest amount of need, it's making sure that all of their credentials, be it from a you know non-US based medical school or program are properly conveyed, it could also be another growth opportunity for you in the in the longer term. Yeah, that's it, that's a great point. Anybody else? Okay. I have two questions from the internet that I wanted to ask. I just want to make sure we're incorporating some of those folks that are watching and sharing their their questions. And uh, the two questions is if we can keep them as brief as possible, because I know um, we've got other folks that we've got to get on and get through. But the questions are um, so somebody on the on the cast uh, said their their friend is a nurse in Texas and is looking to help in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Can this platform help them? Yes or no? Uh, absolutely. Go to you know kamanahelp.com. Click the button to join the COVID uh, rapid response team, and and we can get them connected. Okay, we just did that, and that's that'll help some people. And then the other one was, is this um, applicable. applicable? Yeah, applicable to uh, vendor credentialing as well. Could you have a slight pivot to go to vendor credentialing? I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we we get that question sometimes. There, are, vendor credentialing is handled a little bit differently, but from a actual use of technology standpoint, I mean, looking into vendor compliance and credentialing and authentication to be in the doors of hospitals, working with universities, there's really a lot of avenues where if you think through any time a credential has to be you know, stored, tracked, managed, and shared, uh, whether it's a credential or a health vaccination record or anything along those lines, I mean, we'd love to, love to have the conversation. Great. Awesome. Thanks for all the questions out there on the uh, YouTube chat. Keep those coming and we're going to go to our next uh, company, but thank you so much, Dave. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you all for your time. Good luck to uh, you and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. All right. Next thank up. We've got our fourth startup, it's um, Lazarus 3D. They're out of Houston, Texas. Uh, they were 2018 top 15 uh, company at our Startup Year competition. We've got Jock and uh, Smeedy, who is, are, from, are from Houston, as I mentioned, and last name is Zanafeld. Yeah, Smriti uh, is coming as well. Um, so I'm Dr. Jock Zanafeld, and in a moment we'll have Dr. Smriti Zanafeld as well. Uh, we're the founders of Lazarus 3D. Oh, there she is. <laughs> Hi guys! I thought she was going to be calling in from the car like our like she was yesterday. We're going to have split screen action. So running, running and gunning. Okay, go ahead. All right. Um, so traditionally at Lazarus 3D, we had uh, developed a technology that lets us 3D print exact copies of patients overnight from their data, so doctors could rehearse the surgery ahead of time. But as of about three weeks ago, when we got calls from a lot of ER doctors and VPs of hospitals saying that they desperately needed PPE. We've switched over and have now delivered over 400,000 pieces of PPE to the Texas Medical Center and beyond, with over 1.6 million on the way. Um, these currently include both uh, face masks, which we're sourcing from an FDA-certified uh, factory, as well as face shields, which are a novel design that we had developed um, and prototyped in response to this uh, crisis. As of right now, uh, demand for the masks remains uh, exceedingly high amongst hospitals, and we are working on fulfilling those orders as quickly as we can. On the face shields, a lot of our clients are getting to the point now where our production capacity may actually exceed the demand that they have. So especially with uh, Greg Abbott's uh, announcement this morning of uh, Texas going back to work, uh, we're looking at putting together back-to-work packages, which will include both face masks, face shields, and also potentially gloves, so that as people look to go back to their regular jobs, they can do that in the most protected and safe way possible. And so what we're looking for is uh, industry leaders who can help set up the supply chain to make sure that as we get these products in, we'll be able to get them out to the businesses that need it so that we can restart our economy in the safest way possible. 
So far, we've been selling B2B uh, because um, all of our customers right now are hospitals. Uh, we are restricted to, we're restricting ourselves to primarily selling to hospitals and first responders. But we would like to, as situation is changing, uh, and uh, as Governor Abbott has now made this announcement, we want to make uh, it available to the consumers also. So uh, uh, it would be particularly um, in our uh, interest to get these in stores such as Target, Home Depot, uh, Walmart, et cetera. Absolutely. All right. And what you're asked is you're looking for, what, what, what do you need help with right now? What's the biggest thing? Yeah, so uh, so as we discussed, we're really looking for people uh, that need uh, this type of personal protective equipment so that they can get their businesses back up and running. Uh, specifically, all of our sales and all of our history has been only in the medical industry. We've never done sort of broader marketing outside to other industries. So we're looking for people with the connections and resources to help us make sure that happens. So basically, we can get a whole heck of a lot of PPE here to Texas. Yeah. Uh, from there, we're looking for help getting it to the people that need right. it. So if you're in the chat and you're listening, or if you're following along listening, if you need PPE gear, go to est.us forward slash get connected. If you're in our, our call here with everyone, our, our, our virtual event, anybody have anybody they can throw, throw their way as well as they- Comments or questions. Comments, questions, thoughts, insights. Yeah, hi, Zachary Paul here. So plug and play, we have 17 different industries that we work in. Health is just one of them. Um, but like it's retail, supply chain, fintech, insurtech, food. So I would just connect with me afterwards and I can connect you with our ventures team uh, so they can get you plugged into the other industries as well. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Now I'm getting your name, plug and play. I'm starting to understand. <laughs> <laughs> On the government side, there's a FEMA solicitation out right now uh, that we are helping evaluate for, um, in, for PPE specifically. Uh, there's four areas, gloves, face masks, face shields, and gowns. So uh, you guys, from, from the sound of it, are, are, are touching three of those areas directly right now. Um, and um, we, have, we are... You're uh, putting large muscle movements in terms of funding and, and government contracts behind those right now. So um, I would uh, go check out Beta Sam if you're not familiar with it. We mentioned it a little earlier. Um, and uh, make sure your information's in there and we'd be able to uh, kind of pull you in from there. We, I was going to say, we are on Beta Sam and um, we have already submitted our uh, supplies to numerous of those uh, sort of forms and we haven't heard anything from them. Including state of Texas, state of Louisiana, Arizona. Florida, um, basically the more forms you have to fill out, it seems like the less likely those are those people are to like actually get product in any reasonable so, time frame. Yeah. So I think they may be overwhelmed. Um, but if you guys are getting success getting orders through there, we'd be happy to sell them to you and then have you distribute them on to FEMA. I think that might work really well if you guys are are you know getting the right connections to make that work yeah yeah we, we were brought online to uh to assist in that effort so we are we stood up evaluation teams and um contracting folks and we are we are in the middle of that now yeah um so look forward to, to seeing your information in there yeah. perfect awesome. thank you thank you hey the one thing that i would just jump in and add um i you know you know i I hear you on wanting to get in targets and on J hooks and other retailers, you know, everything that I'm reading about COVID suggests that it, it's, it's not going to end in the summer, despite sort of reopening sort of the, the, the working world for a lot of folks. I, I would, given your existing supply chain and you've got a lot of relationships that you've been able to market your devices, your, your, your equipment to, I would keep those relationships strong as well, because everything that I'm reading, everything that I hear from experts suggests that, that there is, this is going to be a wave thing. And while the demand might be drying up for where, where you sit today, I think that there's subsequent demand that's going to come again. And if, if half of your product is sitting on the shelves at target, it's not, you know, God bless you for doing what you're doing. Cause it's, it's, it's really putting the equipment in the hands of people that need it. But in order to continue doing that so that it's not, you know, hoarded by folks, by, by, you know, zealot consumers, I would also keep, you know, keep those, those lines of communication open because all of the folks who have expired on all of their, their PPE will soon look to stockpile a little bit more and it's best for it to be in the places where it can do the most amount of use. Yeah, so uh, the cutting edge that we have right now is we can make 40,000 face shields a day. 
So, uh, you know, production capacity wise, we're very well poised. Uh, our concern really is that our existing um, hospital connections are well set up. They have enough supplies uh, as far as what we're hearing from them. Uh, so they are not in an urgent need. Uh, if their needs change, we can make 40,000 a day. So we can you know, get hundreds of thousands of units to them very quickly. And we can double that production capacity within a week. So we've, we've set up a very scalable uh, solution here. And our goal is to get everyone in the country protected so that we can all get to work in an efficient way. That being said, I absolutely agree with your point, David. And we will, we have always, and we will continue to always prioritize hospitals that come to us. Um, but at the same point, either uh, in the same way, either not scaling production or turning off our production makes a lot less sense than getting it out uh, even to regular consumers because every piece we get out is going to help. All right. Anybody else? I think we're I think that we're at time. Really appreciate what you're doing with uh, Lazarus 3D. Um, really helping a lot of people. Thank you so much for for your work. And we're on to our fifth startup. Yes, very excited to announce, last but not least, One Milo from Miami, Florida, part of our 2018 Top 100 class. Um, I'd like to introduce founder and CEO, Russell Lee. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Russell from One Milo in Miami. Um, our COVID rapid antibody test is why I guess uh, we were invited here today to participate in this, um, this amazing event. Thank you so much. I don't know if, whether it's coming through clearly. Yep, we see it. So it's made in the USA, uh, soon to be available under the FDA's emergency use authority, which I think is quite unique. It's uh, made in our facility down here in, in Florida. It's highly accurate, um, validated at around 98.2% accuracy. So um, so I don't want you to think that everything is, is working out so well, that we have these things and we're headed towards mass manufacturing. Um, you know, what we're seeing is basically a systematic breakdown in commerce everywhere. We never get the, the correct answer. The first answer is always the wrong one for everything we want to do in terms of shipping to raw material to everything else. Um, so while we started to discuss antibody testing quite early, um, late February with HHS and ministries of health all over the country, um, they started to discuss the medical efficacy of antibody testing at that early stage. So we said, okay, listen, we'll, we'll circle back to that consideration. And we said this to them recently. In the meantime, the cat is out the bag. Everyone now wants an antibody test because we all need to know something. We all need to know data, data about our family, our social circles, our colleagues and our communities. Uh, who is immune? How far this virus has really spread? and who needs to have a vaccine when one becomes available. So I asked the meeting of DOD, HHS, NIH, FDA, they're all involved. Um, if I could send each one of these and each one of them an antibody test for them, for their families, and they all replied yes. So I said, well, that's the reason why the population needs one of these tests. So I said, well, let's circle back to what is good medicine about these things. Um, so we did a trial in a children's hospital and what I dropped off the test at the hospital and one of the first test responses we got a few hours later from the doctor, he sent us a picture of the device, which was on the easiest target, a PCR confirmed negative patient and the test found an antibody. So he said, well, this is a patient that had been in the hospital designated as COVID-19 negative. Is this an exception? Is this a false positive? So we said, no, this child was a convalescent antibody, had convalescent antibodies. That means the child was PCR negative and antibody positive, and he had slipped through the system. So the kid gets an immunity card and that's his prize for the day. So that really made me really happy. And it showed the, the use of what these antibody tests will do for our population over the next couple of months. Okay. You, you guys following that? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So um, the, the rest of the team here know, um, especially Frank and Jen, that Milo has spent the last two years developing our connected health ecosystem, which is powered by proprietary systems for point of care and self-diagnostics, these, these tests. Um, 
The purpose of the system was always to deliver precision medicine to mass populations for the purpose of bringing clinical and economic improvements to patient care. Our elevator pitch or the problem has always been that labs cannot conveniently and economically provide point of care testing for chronic care management or address the globalization of infectious diseases. Globalization of infectious diseases will never be a phrase we take lightly again. So the other thing about this, this um, rapid antibody test is that it's smart. The proprietary test strip, which we call smart rapid, will report the results to a cloud in real time where medical professionals can re review the result in a centralized location from any time and anywhere point of care testing. So the connected health ecosystem incorporates this smart rapid enabled test strip. This is our handheld analyzer. It sounds about, about a credit card. And there's companion apps for the doctor and the patient where the results are synced to. Okay. So um, where we are right now is that in about 10 days time, we're going to start delivering significant quantities of these tests from our facility down here. And by the end of, uh, I guess in the middle of May, about 5 million tests a week in all our facilities around North America. So um, what we need right now um, is we're about to announce our EUA. We, we have significant distribution. We're not short of demand of products. I don't want to hear from anyone who wants to buy one because it's, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a billion people. We are really looking for help to scale up manufacturing in facilities all over the world. We're looking to connect with C-level executives at our tech elites because we want the obvious capabilities of our connected health ecosystem to reach the largest population as possible. And we are looking to do an, a much larger trial now um, for about 600 people to get a 510K so we can sell these over the counter directly to everyone at home. I think that's the way out of this. Just like that, that, that kid in the hospital, we found, you know, we gave him his immunity card and, you know, that's what we're looking for. Okay, great. Yeah. All right, let's kick it over to the panel experts. Who wants to jump in? Yeah, sorry, I'm a little confused on the ask. Oh, yeah, so can the, you clarify the ask, Russell? Yeah, so on the ask is that we have this connected health ecosystem. Um, it's a, a smart test, a smart, uh, a smart uh, cassette with our device that reads it. We have the apps for the patient and the, and the care provider to, to connect from points of care. You perform the test and it reaches the doctor. Uh, he reports on it, he can create a care plan. And it's, uh, we have developed over 45 APIs for that whole ecosystem. And what we're looking for is to connect with C-level executives at our tech elite. So we can put that infrastructure onto a much bigger uh, system so we can put that out to the largest population as possible. We'd like to put our technology in the hands of, um, you know, one of our big tech companies so we can launch this in a real time. The capabilities of the system are from chemistry to clinical analytics. It's a whole see-through. So in real time, with millions of these that we manufacture out in the, in the, in the population, we can have a, a map, a heat map pinging of, of antibody detection all over the world in real time from point of care to the centralized location. So we are looking for, for connections to our tech elite as C-level executives because you know there's obvious capabilities of our system are, are really easily recognized by, by these type of people. Russell, can you explain when you say tech elites, do you mean like Apple, Amazon, those yeah. types of organizations, Gates Foundation, others? Absolutely. You know, we, we hear so much about it. I look at this, you know, a lot of the technology so far are so short of what we can offer. We have the chemistry, it's accurate, it's working. It's, it's not only working in a validation. A validation is easy because it's a controlled substance. You know, we use in blood that we know has antibodies. We check our device and it's 98% accurate. When you go into a hospital, you don't know. Where, you know, if someone is PCR negative, we found out that they actually do have antibodies. So it's, you know, in the clinical setting, it's working really well. Our system is working according to, exactly according to what ELISA, um, which is the lab system, is doing. And this is a 10-buck test. 
and we have the ability to manufacture 5 million of them. And we have the ability for that was for each test to be in the cloud in real time. We've been, you know, this is what one Milo has been developing for two years. Thoughts? Yeah. And we're going to the market. We, we're selling these things. Yeah. I think, I think my main comment is like, as long as you brought up the Gates Foundation, the Gates Foundation pays us uh, to find technology. So you can just uh, connect with me offline and I can connect you with our ventures team who can make those connections if, if sure. it's applicable. Another one of our portfolio companies uh, helps recruit and, and manage um, uh, clinical trials, and so when you're when you're ready for that broader population, they can they, they can help recruit the members for the trial. They can help you manage those members of the trial on a on a definitely domestic, but likely even global basis as well. Sure. So let me explain to you the different the difficulty with with um, COVID nineteen with our test is that um, when you do an IRB, which we actually constituted a few times to get some validation, it just didn't work because. The process it's such a contamination issue of getting a nurse to take to do a, a six minute test she couldn't you know the nurses aren't even allowed to touch the um the the consent form and to put them in that risk was so we actually what we decided to do was a bench test where we, we were taking samples of blood that that COVID 19 positive patients had in the lab in the hospital and we we're testing of those and um so so the, the whole process towards a large trial is, is really easily done. We just have to co-opt a few um, hospitals. We know a hospital in, in White Plains, New York, which has 280 beds, 80% of them are, are COVID-19 positive. Um, we, we can do 600 people you know, with, with, good, with, it, with good coordination in a few days and have good data on that and have this out to people really fast. Yeah, we co-opt with a few hospitals, um, you know, five or six, uh, who want to do this? We we have a thousand of these lying around. We can deliver them next week, probably. Okay, great. Yeah. Jared or Susan, any Susan. final thoughts? Yeah, I certainly connect uh, connect you guys with our uh, sort of our testing teams that we've got going um, in, in the in the Department of Defense. Um, there's another testing is not only antibody testing, but obviously the virus testing is a is a major concern of ours, uh, especially as we have you know consistent folks traveling. Uh, all over the world. So um, we can certainly uh, certainly forward that information on um, and we can go from there. Great. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. All right. Well, that is all five of our companies today. Uh, I hope everyone was as impressed as I have been. We've been yeah. following these companies for quite a while. Just so you guys know, I think three of our companies today uh, who, who pitched to all of you have been part of one of our other partners, NASA iTech. They've been part of their events. Um, Russell will be pitching again to the uh, to the NASA audience just next week. So yep. we're very excited about the opportunities that all of these companies bring to the table and how they're all helping all of us really in different ways. So uh, panelists, would you like to give us any final thoughts, any general words of wisdom to startups out there who might be listening? Um, biggest thing that I would say is I'm seeing a ton of startups take their use case and then apply it to what's immediately required. Um, like maybe it's PPE and ventilators, but I would remind a lot of them. Um, I was just on the phone yesterday with XMED. They're on like CNN for their contact tracing. There's a ton of contact tracing right now. Don't flood right into this first wave. We're going to be seeing multiple waves, um, each with their different requirements. What hospitals and frankly, any other company needs 90 days from now is going to be very different from what they need now. And that's very different from what it's been like in the last couple of years. So don't jump into the boat because it might be a short-lived boat. It might The waters might be flooded with a lot of different competitiveness. Mm -hmm. Start thinking about what the world and the needs are going to be 60 and 90 days from now. I think the thing that we're seeing a lot is companies standing up stuff that would normally in a, you know, in a perfect world, take months to sort of build and plan and test and release. And we're seeing like a lot of innovation happen a lot faster than both the CEOs would have thought about. But, but more importantly, you just like that spark of innovation is really happening where people are coming up to solve problems in their course of business, be it, you know, supply chain or logistics or education. And they're able to stand up things that have been roadmapped for like next quarter or the, or the fourth quarter. And they're getting it launched in weeks. And I think that that's just incredible 
it's the ability of startups to be much more nimble and be be where the solution is needed. And I think that that's one of the benefits of startups versus some of the larger incumbents is just the, the ability to be super nimble and transition, as you saw with a couple of the companies, 100% of the focus to something else, but it's still one singular focus. And I think that's the one thing that I would leave is that it's really impossible to have four or five different points of focus as a startup. You've got limited resources that are perhaps being stretched and, and contained a little bit more. And so I, I would really over-index on being super focused on a couple of things and not sort of the 30 things that that that, that CEOs are normally focused on. The last quick point, Frank, because I know you appreciate this, like mm -hmm. also take, take time to consider their own self-care. Because one of the things that startup founders more than anybody are, are just super taxed and have the weight of the world always on their shoulders. And, you know, that's the first thing that lowers immunity is, you know, right. stress yeah. and not sleeping. So self-care is also super important for every founder to keep in mind as they, they're leading their company forward. Thank you to all the startups and the experts for joining us. That was an amazing event and really appreciate you joining us. And thank you to the experts for sharing their insights and sharing their time with these companies and our community at Startup of the Year. Well, thank you again for listening. This is another fantastic episode. We'll be back with another episode soon. But in the meantime, remember, stay safe out there and keep starting up. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.